Welcome, everybody. This is our first podcast on spirituality adventures, and I'm glad you're joining us. And my first guest is Jamie Boyle. I'll be interviewing different people on different topics, but this first topic that we're dealing with is recovery. And Jamie and I met probably around a year ago, maybe a little longer. About that? Through a couple of common friends that, that we have. And um, I am so glad you're here. Jamie is the CEO of Welcome House. And I really wasn't familiar with Welcome House until I met you, Jamie. Yeah. But since then, I've come to love what you're doing there and love the work at Welcome House. So glad you're here. Thanks for taking time to do this. And I wanted to start just by having you uh, share a little bit of your story, kind of like where you're from, uh, sure. your background, how you how you got to Welcome House. Sure, but sure. Kind of yeah. give us a you know brief. Is this like an eight-hour podcast? Yeah, right. I mean, eight hours exactly. <laughs> you know, well, first of all, thank you for having me. And um, great topic. And I, you know, I love. Uh, talking about spirituality and recovery in particular. And, um, you know, my story, uh, gosh, it goes, you know, I just turned 50 this year. So, um, way, way back. If Welcome you will. To the club. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I'm already starting to get the letters and invitations to John Knox village and AARP, you know, <laughs> I get so, it. <laughs> um, no, you know, I, you know, my story, I think, is obviously unique in some ways, but then very common in other ways. I mean, I'm, I'm from, uh, I was born in, I was born and raised, uh, predominantly in Orlando, Florida, and I'm the son of, um, conservative Christian, um, healthcare professionals. So I, my dad was a hospital CEO. My mother's a nurse, um, you know, middle-class, upper middle-class, um, family, um, you know, went to church every week and, um, private schools, to some degree earlier on in my life and, um, you know, surrounded by family and a support system and had opportunities and, um, you know, really great things in my life. And, you know, not unlike a lot of kids at my age at the time, you know, I started to venture out and, you know, sort of do some, what I like to call rite of passage type activities. Um, and, you know, one of those was sneaking out and drinking wine coolers on the ball field, right. you know, at the end of junior high or early high school. And, um, you know, I did that and, and, you know, had a couple of other sort of introductory type scenarios with, with alcohol at the time. And um, nothing that it would be considered to be outside the norms of what is typical for a young person growing up. You know, and mm -hmm. I ultimately became an alcoholic and an addict. And, you know, the kids that I was doing those activities with, I don't, I don't really know if they did or didn't, you know, um, what I've come to understand about those experiences for me and come to realize is that my body handles substances differently. You know, I, I'm, I am an alcoholic and an addict and I am wired that way, you know, now I also know now, um, and it really wouldn't have mattered if I'd have known this then. Right. Right. When you tell somebody in junior high, very wise and helpful information, how often does that stick? Right. Right. Um, but I do know now that throughout my 
family tree on both sides, you know, there's substance use issues, alcoholism and addiction. And, um, you know, so I was, I believe I'm also genetically sort of predisposed to be an alcoholic and an addict. And, you know, so those were my early experiences. Um, again, not sort of outside the norm, you know, um, we moved around a lot as a kid. That's not so unusual, typically following, you know, my father's jobs and his professional career. And, but again, still loved and, and appreciated and, um, provided opportunities and, you know, being very well taken care mm -hmm. of with, uh, well-meaning, good parents, you know, good Christian parents. Um, you know, I, because I, because I, you know, my body handled those chemical chemicals differently, I believe. Um, it really triggered, tripped a wire in my brain, if you will. I believe that to this day. And, you know, from sort of that point forward, I was a guy that was always more focused on those opportunities and sought them out or sought to drive the creation of those opportunities. Um, you know, and so my drug and alcohol use continued through high school, got into some trouble in high school as a relation, as it, as it, uh, related to drug and alcohol use. And, um, you know, never went to rehab or anything like that. I didn't fail any, you know, fail out of school. Um, and then, um, took a year off out of high school and then ultimately went to the university of Kansas and cleaned up my act a little bit. Um, while I was there, I uh, was able to get an undergraduate degree and then go on to graduate school. And, you know, that ability to sort of clean up my act, if you will, um, really only furthered the notion or the idea for me that I didn't have a problem. Mm -hmm. you know, this wasn't really a problem for me. So, yeah, I got into a little bit of trouble, but, you know, that could have happened to anybody. I was just being a normal kid. You know, that was the argument and the justification in my mind. If I was truly an alcoholic or an addict, how could I have gone to Can University of Kansas and, and, and gotten my degree and done so with a great GPA? And how could I have been accepted into graduate school, et cetera, et cetera? You know, I, I'm going to try to abbreviate this I experience. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to skip a little bit, you know, so, okay. um, you know, I get into the professional world and I finish my a master's degree in, in, um, business administration. And I take a, a pretty great job, quite frankly, with a healthcare IT company, uh, I travel all over the country. Um, and I was with them for about 10 years. And, um, I would have these, my life, if you look back at it, it's sort of speckled with these significant successes followed by almost catastrophic failures to some degree. Yeah. You know, stuff where, you know, it's like, Jamie, how, how could you have gotten your second DUI? What is wrong with you? <laughs> Why can't you figure this out? You know what I mean? It's stuff like that, you know, um, being rewarded professionally and acknowledged for being a high performer on the one side, but on the other side, making just what normal people would consider ridiculously stupid decisions and mistakes. You know, okay. that's kind of, that sort of tracked through my life, you know. So your business life was on the up, up, up yeah. into the. Yeah, from the outside looking uh, in, yeah. I had the world by the tail. Right. 
you know, I had more money than I knew what to do with. Um, you know, I was sort of climbing that corporate ladder mm -hmm. possessions, um, status title, you know, what neighborhood did you live in? What, what do you drive? You know, right. are your bank accounts padded? You know, all of those things were in the right category for me at, mm -hmm. the, at the time. But it, but I was also miserable too. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I was, I was miserable inside and, you know, um, so I, you know, ultimately, were you married during this time? I was, Kids. I was married, had started a, started a family, had a couple of little girls, um, got divorced at the, you know, during this period of time. Okay. And, uh, you know, not, there was not much that anybody could tell me about what was going on in my life, um, that I didn't justify away, you know, um, in or rationalize away. You know, how could there possibly be a problem? Don't you understand who I am, what I do, how successful I am at it? You know, mm -hmm. um, and so I, you know, that, so my, my career progressed at the same time, my disease was progressing, you know, and life became increasingly more difficult to manage. You know, um, the marriage failed. Yeah, but marriages fail. You know, I'm, I guess I'm not lucky there either. Right. You know, that happens to more people than it doesn't. Doesn't have anything to do with drugs or alcohol. Right. That's just life. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I was often in airport bars, hotel bars, out with clients, out with my team. And there was always drinking and other activities, you know, um, associated with that. And finally, um, I got to the place where life was just completely unmanageable. You know, I like to say it was manageable until it wasn't. And when it wasn't, it really wasn't. Right. You know, I mean, I got to the get up in the morning and first waking thought is what do I absolutely have to do today before I drink or use? And over a period of time, albeit a short period of time, the answer became nothing. Mm. You know, so not only is it the first waking thought, it's the first action of the day, you know, and I had years of, you know, every usage every single day from, from when I woke up until I went to sleep or passed out for years before I ultimately had lost everything in my life and really by fluke found out about the welcome house and decided for whatever reason, I didn't believe it was going to work. I mean, I had been to rehab and rehab hadn't worked, you know, but I found the welcome house and, you know, I'm eight and a half years sober today. Um, I've been sober since I walked through that door for the first time, you know? And so significant impact to me personally completely changed my life in the direction of my life. Um, and, you know, I'll always be forever grateful, but it's a, you know, it's a relatively messy, sordid, 
ugly story in some ways, you know, wrought with all of the same kinds of destructive behaviors and consequences that are unfortunately all too common for alcoholics and addicts who st- who struggle with the disease of substance use disorder and for their families and the loved ones that have to watch that yeah. happen right. from the sidelines, right. you know? So that, that was the path. That's my story. You know, my story is um, I had all of the opportunity in the world and came from a great family, a loving family, an educated professional family. Um, and I still ended up walking through the welcome house with nothing a miserable alcoholic and addict with more near death experiences, you know, in my past than anyone would ever want to have a part of their story. Um, and, and with zero ability to change that on my own, Mm -hmm. you know, um, if I, I, I hate to think about what my life would or really wouldn't be actually, um, is probably the better way to say it without welcome house. Okay. You know, and the twelve step programs, and and um, so give us give us a little window because a lot of the audience doesn't know this is the first time they're hearing your story. Yeah. So you were, you know, you divorced, but you're still raising your kids. You're still doing well at work, but then yeah. give us a little window into that, like going from highly successful yeah. business person mm-hmm. to walking into the welcome house. What? Give us a little window into that meltdown there. Well, you know, I mean, um, the bit, the most significant thing I aspirated one night and I ended up in the, in the ICU, you know, I was on a ventilator. Um, my family flew in from around the country. You know, my, none of them lived here anymore in Kansas city. They had all moved away and, and, uh, you know, they, the, Doctors told my family, look, you got, he's got a 50, 50 chance of survival here. We're not sure he's going to make it. Well, you know, um, I had aspirated at some point, um, in the night, probably a little bit after midnight, the, the person, the, the woman that I was with girlfriend at the time had also, you know, passed out. And so, and no one had found me, no one, and you know, until she woke up and realized what was going on and what had happened, you know, I, I just laid there having aspirated, you know, it was the, it was really the death rattle at, at, at the point at which they, they came and found me. And so, you know, I, so my, my folks, you know, flew in to deal with their adult child alcoholic, right. right? Um, who, who'd gotten himself in another bind. And, uh, you know, my dad said to me, I was fortunate enough to survive that, obviously, Um, you know, and, and, you know, my dad said to me, Jamie, you gotta, you gotta deal with this, man. You know, you are so angry, you know, and I, I didn't recognize that in myself at the time, but it was very, very true. You know, just as a person internally, I was so angry. He saw it, you know, they saw it. I didn't, I didn't get it. And I understand a little bit more about that now. Um, and he said, you know, you've got to go to rehab and, and this is the truth. And I, and I almost hate to acknowledge it. Um, but at the time I agreed, but the only reason I agreed was because 
I did not see a valid or viable argument against it. Against it, right. You know, I didn't, I still, after that, and after a myriad of issues, personally, professionally, legally, related to my drug and alcohol use, mm-hmm. and having aspirated and almost died, I still didn't accept the fact that I didn't have this under control, that this was some significant issue that would require me mm-hmm. to stop drinking or using drugs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and that was, I think that was, for me, I think that was the beginning. Because while rehab wasn't successful for me, there were some pretty significant seeds planted. And that experience was probably the place that started my, the possibility of my recovery, if you will. Okay. okay. That started the possibility of my recovery. And, you know, from there, uh, I didn't do what the folks in the rehab suggested, you know, cause again, I'm still the guy, you know, calling the shots, you know, I'm in, I'm the guy in the driver's seat. I still had plenty of money. I wasn't employed at the time I'd lost my job. Okay. Um, but, but I was still the guy making the decisions and, you know, I, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't find a sober living environment. I didn't go to meetings and get a, get a sponsor. And well, I did go to a couple of meetings, but I intentionally didn't get a sponsor. And I say that because I intentionally didn't get a sponsor because a sponsor was going to hold me accountable. A sponsor was going to want to get into my business and a sponsor was going to be concerned about my sobriety. Why would I want that? Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? So from yeah. there, it was, um, you know, a slow and very painful fall off a fairly steep cliff to the front door of the Welcome House, you know? Right. And so tell us about what is Welcome House and how, how did you end up there? Well, it, you know, it's really, it, it is really a fluke. I mean, I had, so from that point I had, um, you know, I, I went and I didn't have a job, but I, again, I still had, you know, some money and, and, uh, you know, the plan was I'll just get a job I mean, I'm not ready yet. You know, I got to figure myself out. You know, my way of doing that was, you know, drinking every day doing drugs every day. You know, that was how I was going to figure myself out. Um, as you can imagine, that didn't work at all. Um, and, you know, so, but for a period of, I don't know, three and a half or four years or so, um, you know, I basically stayed drunk and high 24 hours a day to the point at which I had burnt through and lived on everything I had ever earned in my life (laughs) that I still had, you know, um, motorcycles, homes, cars, 401ks, you know, you know, utilizing my credit cards, um, and running up credit card debt. You know, when I got, when I got to the welcome house, I had legal trouble, financial trouble, personal trouble, family trouble, IRS trouble, credit trouble, I still didn't have my driver's license from my last DUI. I had no vehicle. I mean, I walked through the welcome house with $10 in a backpack, literally, you know, and, 
my ex-wife, God bless her, is the person that brought me down and, and to the welcome house. And we had been looking at options. You know, I'd kind of finally gotten to this place where, um, you know, I might've been able to sofa serve a little bit longer. Right. <laughs> um, but, but there weren't a whole lot of people lining up to help Jamie anymore. Okay. You know, those birds, those bridges had been burned right. and, you know, so I, I found out just by fluke and doing some research and looking at potential options for somebody in my situation, you know, virtually homeless. Um, and, and I went and looked at the welcome house and, and I had never heard of the welcome. I'd lived here off and on, but mostly on since the late eighties from a family in the healthcare arena. And I had never heard of this place called the welcome house at 27th and Paseo, you know, but, but, but they were perfect for me because they didn't require that I have anything. I didn't have to have insurance. I didn't have to have a job. I didn't have to have any money. You know, they sat me down and had an interview with me and made sure I met their eligibility requirements. Okay. And, and try it, I believe at the time, which is what we do now in a slightly different way, but we're really trying to assess my willingness mm-hmm. and my sincerity. You know, did I really want help? You know, and, I'll never forget it. My my ex-wife and I were walking out of the of the welcome house and she looked at me and she said, you know, you're not staying here. Why did she say that? Well, you know, I mean, the welcome house is a very humble organization and facility. Right. You know, and she didn't mean anything bad by it. You know, I mean, she was trying to be protective of me, I think, okay. really more than anything. Um, just like, this isn't your tribe or whatever. Well, right. You know, um, and I, for whatever reason, you know, I said, no, I think I'm going to, you know, and, and it was that one interaction and statement that I believe set the course Hmm. that I've been on ever since, you know, um, and I, you know, my, it was almost like a final. It was very, yeah. I mean, I was exhausted. I can't do it. I was exhausted. I mean, I was so. It's like a surrender. Yeah. I was tired of disappointing myself. I was tired of disappointing my family. I was tired of not being the father I could be, wanted to be. Tired of not being the man, the human that I wanted to be. Tired of trying to live and manage this double life, you know? And, And when rehab had failed, I honestly believed, or at least I sold it to myself that I was never going to be able to find recovery and sobriety. So that was never, I was going to die. You know, I was going to die. I was going to die an alcoholic and an addict. And there was probably nothing that could be done about that, you know? And when you come to that conclusion in your life, you know, all bets are off. Right. You know, I, you don't live for, the future you live for the right this second right mm-hmm. what does that sound like that sounds like an alcoholic and an addict mm-hmm. i don't feel good right now give me a drug or a drink let me change that i don't like what's going on right now give me a drug or a drink let's change that yeah. the world is fantastic let's celebrate let's have a drug or a drink and make it better you know, it's all about that immediate. 
gratification and the right this second. Right now, you know, there's also a whole lot of, you know, which gets to the anger point, but you know, for me, and I didn't until I got into recovery. I, I mean, this was so oblivious to me, but this holding on to resentments and anger and the, you know, rumination over the past, you know, wrongs that I perceived had been done to me, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of issues. There was a lot of that in me, um, really fueling and driving that anger that my dad could see, you know, stuff that just was not ever addressed. Most of it, by the way, not even valid. You know, I learned as a, as a, as a, result of working the steps that when I, you know, go through this process of looking at that stuff, um, what really jumped out to me was that of all the things and the people that I, you know, sort of list out and how I had been wronged or harmed, as I'm looking through this list, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, holy crap, I mean, I've done all that to people. I'm holding on to all this anger and resentment and it's destroying me like I'm, I've been so harmed in this world and I'm looking at this stuff I'm so upset about and I've done everything on it to somebody else. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, this moral inventory. It was an amazing sort of experience, Mm -hmm. you know, to kind of go through and and start to understand some of that Mm -hmm. stuff. So, Mm -hmm. um, but so, you know, to go from this person, um, you know, that was very high performing and having had, you know, all the opportunity in the world um, and to get to Welcome House, you know, it was sort of this, you know, very long and, um, painful journey, but, you know, lucky for me and not, I, I, I said, I turned 50 this year. Welcome house is turning 50. So okay. welcome house just transitioned into its 50th year of service to Kansas city, um, as an organization. It's amazing to me to think about how, you know, I was born in 1970 and, and welcome house was incorporated in 1971, you know, so the year after I was born, a group of guys that attended an all men's AA meeting and that wanted to do 12 step work, you know, work with other alcoholics or addicts in crisis came together to form this organization called the welcome house that 50 years later would save my life. You know, it just, cool. I mean, it just blows my mind, yeah, you know, cool. it just blows my mind. Well, thank you, Jamie, for sharing. This will be an interesting journey as we jump from, your background and your background story into Welcome House. And and in, in particular, we're going to be diving into sort of this whole recovery and spirituality theme in this next session. So thanks for being here today. Greatly appreciate it. My pleasure, brother. Thanks for having me. All right. Everybody, we'll be doing part two with Jamie next session. So tune in again. Thank you for joining us. Harvey Media Productions.